Hello, welcome to episode 98 of the Good Good Golf Podcast, also doubling as episode 1 of the 2022 season. Rod Murray at the controls and eager to get started on what is hopefully another year of cracking conversation with interesting and smart people from all over the golf world. We start our 2022 journey right here in our own backyard with big-time tournament golf returning to the Australian schedule this past week. An intriguing tournament, and I'm a bit rusty, unfolding at the Royal Queensland Golf Club. Both men and women in the field for the Australian PGA and WPGA Championships is a format that's proving popular. What's the future for that event and others like it here in Australia? Can they survive? That's just one of the no doubt multitude of topics we'll get into with not one but two studio guests slash co-hosts today, starting with the ever-present Pathmaster Adrian Loglog. How was the Christmas New Year period? Lots of golf gifts for you, no doubt. Uh, no golf gifts at all. The Christmas New Year period was pretty depressingly boring. Didn't do much at all. Just had work hanging over my head the whole time. And I actually need a holiday. I've come out of that feeling like I need a holiday. I think what you've just announced yourself there is old. <laughs> That's how Christmas gets when you're old, because I feel exactly the same way. The man at the moment is going to be our eyes and ears from on the ground at Royal Queensland, as well as our youngest person correspondent, youngish, I said, youngish, Golf Australia Magazine deputy editor, Jimmy Emanuel. Jimmy, good to have you in the studio, mate. Thank you for having me. I don't know if I'm interesting or smart, but very happy to be here. Oh, that's for later episodes, mate. We oh, you, okay, ne- yeah, you never okay. start with I the good that, stuff. I figured <laughs> that might be down case. the track. How was Royal Queensland? Looked great on the TV. Course that was very good. Yeah, course was great. Uh, it's the first time I've had a real good look at it since the uh, renovation. I last played it, I think, just before they started. So very different. Uh, it was great to see strategic golf as a tournament venue. Um, and, yeah, the, the week in general, the actual golf was fantastic. So uh, good venue, and hopefully they keep going back there, in my opinion. Had you missed it? Been a long time since we had a big – it's different for us. We cover golf, so it's a different experience for, spec, for spectators and whatnot, but it is our kind of niche. Had you missed it? Uh, well, I was fortunate I had a little lead-in with the Sandbell Invitational uh, to sort of get my groove back, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, I had. It was a reminder of all the things good about covering tournament golf, I suppose, and getting to see the players and talking to them and finding out a little bit of inside stuff and, and going out and actually watching tournament golf in a big scale. Uh, it was fantastic. So very good to be back. And that uh, wonderful, I don't know whether you get this on TV so much, but when you cover a tournament, it just unfolds. People say, oh, golf goes too long, four days. It's great. It's beautiful to feel it unfold, isn't it? Day by day when you're working the tournament, covering it and writing the stories every day, you get a real sort of flow to it. Did you watch it on TV, like? I did. I thought Royal Queensland looked great on TV. Um, you know, people say it's quite a flat course, and it is flat, but it's flat in the way that the old course is In a flat. wrinkled way. Yeah. It, it, when you're down in it, there's actually quite a lot going on in the land. It's not not as uh, rim, like ruffled and wrinkled as the old course, but it does have – it's flat in the way that the old course is flat. So it is actually quite interesting when you're out in it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's good. I, I thought it came up quite well on TV. From the ground – it's it's not a great looking course, like from actual ground level. Like I've actually it is tried the old to, course. I've tried to photograph it, and it's very hard to photograph from the ground. Like you actually need to be up where the TV cameras were, up on the towers. That was kind of the perfect angle for um, showing off the course, just at that sort of twenty foot in the air sort of angle. Um, and I, I thought it came up great. And lots lots of short grass was good to see. Nice contours around the greens were a real challenge and actually pivotal in the. Women's event. Lots of options to be. We'll come to all. We'll come to the men and women playing together a little bit later. But you mentioned the Sandbelt Invitational, Jimmy. The same thing happened. I thought with Royal Queensland. You and I, Logue, got a direct message from Kevin Van Cleef, who was watching Mm. obviously from over in 
watching for the golf course. I wrote about this yesterday for the website, the role of the golf course in the tournament. I'll we'll have to put a link to your article in the show notes. We'll put a link I'll, to I'll, I'll in the, Aren't you doing the show notes this I'll, year? Isn't that, the, yeah, isn't that the deal that we came to? I've, so I've you, been doing it all along. I was, I you, you might, you might want, to, want to wind back yeah. the show notes uh, list on a weekly basis. But the role of the architecture in the thing. Now, as spectators and those that are interested in architecture, I thought it was fantastic. I'll admit I don't watch anywhere near as much golf as I used to on TV. I watched Royal Queensland specifically because I wanted to see the course. But what did the players think, Jimmy? Uh, it was sort of a mixed reaction. I agree wholeheartedly about the golf course creating a bit of interest. I did a column for our next mag about the same thing after the sand belt, that they should be the star of the show or one of the stars of the show. Um, look, I think, yeah, there was mixed reaction. Tournament golfers aren't guys who typically, and I'm speaking mostly about the men here, um, aren't typically ones who are huge architecture buffs. There's a small percentage that are. Um, so there was people who didn't necessarily appreciate the course for what it was and would say, you know, a guy who made a seven on, on 12 or 13 might say, oh, well, you know, that hole makes no Stupid sense. Stupid golf hole. Yeah, but as Clayton said to me during the week, that's how it's supposed to be. They're not supposed to get it. So, uh, but there was equal praise, you know, for the condition of it, but also the design of it, that it was different, that it tested them in different ways. The setup was different too, I thought. Correct. Not yeah. this penal rough when you miss fairways or rough. Yeah, I mean, it, in the lead up, we'd heard that they were going to grow up some rough. I don't know if COVID travel stuff meant that the PGA maybe couldn't get their tournament guys up there as early, but they appeared to have listened to the to the super. Uh, and it would have been a disaster if they'd done that. Yeah, I mean, it just, just wouldn't have been the same thing. No. It, it's not how it's supposed to be. So, um, yeah, there was a good mix of I really like it, I don't like it, I've got to play it a couple more times. And, look, the winner of the men's event being a member there suggests that knowing how to play the golf course is a huge advantage around there, which is a pretty big tick in the architecture stakes for mine. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, mm. I mean, he won by so much that there's more at play than just a local oh, home course advantage. Clearly, that's a player who was just out of control for the whole week. But I wonder how much you think – I don't know how much stock he – you get to a level – I made this mistake before the last President's Cup at Royal Melbourne – of thinking, well, you've got a bunch of Australians in the team. They know the nuances of Royal Melbourne. That's got to be an advantage. I think the reality at that level is that it actually doesn't make that much difference. But then Jed Morgan comes along. Did he prove me wrong? Well, I think I, – I was thinking about this actually over the last couple of days since coming back. Sure, he knows the lines off the tee a bit better and, and how to attack different things. I, I think his biggest advantage there was holling putts. I mean, he holed mm. huge amounts of 10 to 15 yeah, footers. Right. You're scoring putts in tournament golf. Uh and that's an advantage of someone who plays that golf course all the time, in my opinion. They so, know how they roll. They know the brakes. And like Logue says, it's this pretty flat bit of property. It's not like it's built on the side of a hill. It's, everything isn't breaking to Indio or Indigo or wherever it is in California. It's, it's, it's what's in front of you when you're hitting putts there. And he would have hit those putts so much more. He gave himself a lot of chances. He played out of skin all week. But How much of that is knowing where your misses are, where you need to be to certain pins? Because those greens there, you hit it 10 feet one side and 10 feet the other. One's unmakeable, yeah. and the other is almost a, not almost a gimme, but you know what I mean. Yeah. How much of that is intuitively knowing that, I wonder, without even thinking about it, which is I think come I, to you about. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't think if you asked him you know, the way he played, particularly putting-wise, he'd say, oh, it's because I'm a member. I think a lot of that, it's just... It's, it's, it's body and it's mind taking over without him doing it on purpose, which given how nervous he spoke about being the whole week, I think that's what let him get that way a lot. Yeah. He was he felt sick from 
Wednesday night. And so his body and his reactions just sort of took over. So he stands on – I watched him on nine on – I think it was uh, I think it was the final day. It could have been the third day. With par five, hit a bit of a ropey sort of a pitch in there, left it front right to a to a mid right sort of pin, and he just jarred this thing. It was never not going in. Now that's where all the crowd was. That's where everyone was yelling his name. I think at that stage, it's just instincts taken over, and he's hit that putt probably hundreds of times so it's he's known the line and he's hit a good putt he knows the speed and everything like that so it's it's definitely a big part of it for that win i think probably more the margin of victory than just winning mm. um you know, how many shots do you reckon that's worth well that that Over course, the course of a week i was thinking about that five or six shots. yeah five, five or six, or six you really think five or six shots yeah, yeah. that's yeah. an enormous so number of shots at, at a golf course level. like that yeah if you're playing if you're playing australian open at the australian, australian which is a great tournament venue. Matt Jones does not have a six-shot advantage. No, yeah. but if you think about Matt Jones, he's won two Australian Opens and they've both been his home golf club. So it's not five to six, but it might be one to two there. They but might. Royal Queensland, where so many of those players hadn't played um, or maybe were still learning it, uh, I think it's a it's a pretty significant advantage and we've got nothing else to go off. So he's won. He's played <laughs> two events there and he's won two events there two. in terms of the Aussie Amateur as well. Yeah. It's got to be some sort of advantage. Like he, he when he won the Aussie Amateur there, the closest match he had was with Elvis Smiley, and he drummed him three and two. So it, the guy is a horse for course if there ever was one. Look out for him in the Olympics in twenty thirty two. That's he right. If he makes the team, he'll be a shoe in for the gold. Back to the uh, impact of architecture on the play log. So there's lots of people. There would have been lots of pros in the field who never give architecture a thought. They just think about the golf and the scoring line. So what's the role of course architecture for people who don't? who don't think about it. Is golf more enjoyable, even for those who never give it a thought, at St Andrews than it is at Marrickville? <laughs> well, yeah. Don't be harsh. Let's stay on Which Marrickville. Which is a golf course, <laughs> but let's, I think we'd all agree, and including people at Marrickville. It's no St Andrews. Uh, no, 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 it's not. Um, Do you know the point I'm trying to make? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, what I thought we saw demonstrated last weekend was uh, hitting to the place where it leaves you with the best shot for in best position for your next shot, and that even extended to the par threes. You know that seventeenth at Royal Queensland is a great hole, one hundred and twenty something metres. Yeah, and it, and it just, were terrifying. It's visually, really stunning. Um, on one side, it's got this pretty penal bunker, and on the other side, it's got a really penal swale. Um, and I think Ali Whitaker said it in the commentary quite well that. Your best just to hit to the middle of the green and, and putt to, to the, the pin, pin. Mm-hmm. but it. I don't think she really went far enough with that because, like you were saying, Rod, there's places where the putt's unmakeable, um, depending on where the pin is, and also to get it to the middle of the green. I noticed they were having like the way the slopes were on that green to get it to the middle of the green. They were actually having to sort of hit sort of short right, right, yeah. and it was feeding down and. Um, and if you got that a little bit wrong, then you'd be sort of rolling back to the back of the green and it was much harder from back there. And it, it was a real – there was actual strategy in a par three. Um, and it's a you know very pretty hole to boot. And if you miss the green, it's extremely penal. And you had a bunch of drunks around it all day, all week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, that, the slopes and the firmness had a role. Like I, I think you could take everything from Royal Queensland and make it soft and it could be a bit of a disaster. Um, but the fact that it has it was nice and firm around the greens. Splat golf would take all of that out. Wouldn't it? Yeah. You made it soft and just splat golf, carry it 122 yards, and it stops at 122 yards. That sort of That's right. removes all of that strategy, sort of, uh, sort of from it. Um, 
I was interested in uh, just so that we sorry, Jed Morgan was the winner. I don't yep. mention his name. Royal Queensland member won the Australian PGA. Sue O won the WPGA uh, Championship, first one ever, the Kari Webb Cup, which she would have been pretty happy about. What, did, what was your take on the how the women attacked the course compared to the men, Jimmy? They played off different tees, obviously, and some yep. of those tees were different angles, yep. which was sometimes to their advantage and sometimes not. I was quite surprised at the length that it played, particularly some of the par threes for the women. It was it was definitely very different. Uh, they were very different golf tournaments because of the way they had to play the golf course. And I say in terms of the WPGA had to play the golf course as opposed to the way the men chose to play the golf course. Um, approaching the greens for the women in that field was very difficult. Uh, spinning the ball enough to get to some of the pins was really tough. Especially on firm greens. Yeah, when they were quite hard and, and fast, it was it was proving difficult. So having to hit to certain areas like Logue was talking about was more pertinent throughout the whole golf course, not just on certain holes uh, and land in certain spots. Um, but it was, again, interesting. Were the tees too far forward for the women? They were close to too far forward, yeah. It was it was very short compared to mm. what it could have been. Um, you know, early in the week when practice rounds, a couple of people came up and said, this is really short and it feels like they've tried to put wedges in everybody's hands into certain holes. Um, what were they going for there? Like rough score equity or I something? I think it Which was. Is- Look, and, and to be fair, it's hard to fault them in that area. It was only a field of 24, but, you know, when we had a couple of withdrawals with COVID stuff and everything like that, you didn't have – it wasn't it wasn't a, a superstar 24. So you've got players who haven't played a lot of tournament golf at all, if, if some who might not have played four years during that COVID period. So playing with people like Suo, who's an LPGA Tour player – the score discrepancy from top to bottom, I think, might be a concern. Yep. Um, and also score comparative to the men's. You, you is that legitimate? Other people, I've, I never think about that, but is that a legitimate concern on the part of organisers? And, and I've had women say to me that at the Vic Open, you have this problem where the women look uh, inferior because their scores are much higher than the men. So I never give that a thought, but is that a legitimate concern? I w- Should you try to manipulate the course to stop that? I wouldn't have thought so. I don't think the score is the score is only relative to the one in front or behind you. That's the whole premise of the game of golf, I would have thought. But I think it is for or some people in the organisation. I, I didn't speak directly to the people setting up the golf course um, to find out, but I believe it is um, because they don't want to be seen as an inferior product because of score, which it wouldn't be to anyone who knows golf or pays attention to golf or would go out and actually watch the tournament. Um, but I think when they've got that event side by side, it's the first one. It's a day. Look, it's, it's, a, it's a feeling out period as well of exactly what it's going to be. Um, but that golf course particularly, given you, they're not soft greens, you can't fly it in there, um, it, it can be tough to, to score and, and a big number is around the corner. So it was a very different way of approaching it. Um, but to be fair, you know, some – some of the best players in the field really popped their head up and, and showed that in terms of Suo and Grace Kim was second and Sarah Jane Smith, another LPGA Tour player, and behind her, Karis Davidson, another one. Um, they really showed, but it was a much more cautious approach, I think, and you hold some putts, you make some birdies. There was some go spots, but um, it was short, but it wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a funny sort of a mix. Um, it was enjoyable to watch. It was, it was pretty impressive. Um, but, yeah, it was a very different sort of a, a style of event. But the other thing is you're comparing it mainly to Jed Morgan because everyone paid attention and watched Jed Morgan you know, play 
video game golf around there. So <laughs> it's it's a hard thing to get a gauge of 22 under his winning score versus 10 under Sue's winning score. Um, it's it's very, very different. But uh, but in fairness, second place, Andrew Dode, 11 under. Yep. Suo, 10 under. Correct. Mm-hmm. So there's a, should we be concerned about this, Logue, or should we celebrate the difference? They are two different games. The dangerous people can go, oh, the bloke shot 22 under and the women only shot 10 under. They're obviously not as good. I don't think that's a fair I don't think anybody's said that in the Vic Open in the past. Um, not well, I'm really. not sure about that. Well, maybe it's just maybe people have seen it, but I don't think it's an enduring memory of Vic Opens um, where the score discrepancy has been quite different. Yeah, who could like? It, it's not like I said. I don't think it's an enduring right. issue. Um, but I, I, what I want to see is just good golf, mm. and uh, I, I think they got that right on quite a few holes at Royal Queensland. The twelfth yep. seemed to work out exactly right, where the the choice of that short par four, do you go for the green or do you lay up? And they, we actually saw that. It seemed often, like often you the women and the men were faced with exactly That's the right. same choice Absolutely. there, with the, with the length was just dialed in exactly right. But then I felt like on the 18th, where there's, again, really interesting strategy off the tee, uh, Elvis Smiley, what, hit three wood into that bunker that Clayton said he couldn't reach. <laughs> yeah. <it>. Um, <laughs> but the women were all bombing it over that bunker. Yeah. It was They were so far forward, and that made that approach into that green a lot less interesting. Yeah. Um, quite a difficult green to hit, as we saw with the men. Um, but the women actually had very little trouble with it. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to see good golf, and I think we were denied that a little bit on a few of the holes, um, that 18th being one. Um, but, you know, Is there an option for a got, tee there for right. the women where they can't fly it over the bunker, the women of that level? Is there a tee option where they can't get it over the bunker? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. You might have this problem where the most forward of the men's tees is too long and the women's tee that they might have been using is too short. There might be that sort of issue going on. Yeah, there was was a few where they were well up where they didn't have to be. I thought the par threes played very long for the women from what I saw. A couple of 180-metre par threes there with flags tucked behind bunkers that was like, well, that's brutal. I I always find it interesting with that course set up with with the distance stuff in a women's event when it's at the same place as a men's is it seems like par threes are played longer, not so much – Par fours and par fives are often played longer, which, from my experience, I could be wrong in other ones, it doesn't seem to play to the advantage of if there is players in that women's field who are longer off the tee. Um, they seem to negate that with that setup uh, because, like like saying, at 18, they could all fly that centre-line bunker. So taking if you're a longer player and taking driver, if you can get over it with three wood, you sort of get up there further into where it necks in a little bit and it becomes a bit more dangerous. So you don't seem to have that advantage. Um, so, yeah, I, the par threes and stuff were quite long, but the women players that, you know, play on the LPJ Tour, they're, they're better players with mid to long irons, hybrids, whatever, than the blokes are because they hit more of them. They hit, so, they hit further than we think as spectators oh, and recreational golfers too. Top women golfers hit the ball plenty far enough. Don't worry about absolutely. that. Absolutely. I was out there for some practice rounds with some of the players and some of the distances, you know, talking to them as they're going through their yardage book of carry and all that sort of stuff was numbers that people wouldn't think they're going to hit. Um, so there's, there's more distance there and I, I think that's part of the challenge of I'm not sure of how much the, the course was all done by the PGA Tournament right, committee LPGA, who don't LPGA. do that for the for women's events normally for the WPGA events or how much of a crossover there is. Um, it was very much a this is the first time doing this. Let's do as well as we can with it and try and make it as good a product. But it's a learning experience. I think everyone, if you talk to them that week, would say 
we we will take away a lot from this and, and work out some ideas of how to make it better. Um, but I, I still think Royal Queensland is a tough one to split for a men and women's event. I think it's a it's a hard concept to sort of to have there just because of the way the golf course plays. Um, but th- those key holes that can change a tournament probably did it more in the women's event than the men's. Uh, Thirteen on Sunday was mm-hmm. pivotal. Oh, that was. And the tournament was decided right there. Correct. Yeah, that was and Grace while, Kim's tournament right yeah, there. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. And <laughs> David Michaluzzi made a, a bit of a meal of that too, I'm sure he'd agree, but he was fighting for second. Yeah, it, was not, it was not the same thing. People won't remember it as much. But that 13th, which should be a pivotal hole, you should need to escape that with par or something like that if on the Sunday afternoon. That pin was brutal. It was, it was a tiny little place up the back of the green there to go at it. I mean, Paul Gow said it on the coverage. I think he's right. Probably the best shot Jed Morgan hit all week was his second in there on Sunday, which actually held that little shelf. Nobody else. Yep. We saw everybody that came through that hole chipping or putting from either just over the back or just to the left up that really steep slope. Of course, Suo hold it, which was mm-hmm. pivotal, we know, but in many Right ways, choice of club too, right? Hitting oh, very much so. There. That's the mistake well, Grace Kim yeah. made. Was, well, that was... I, I walked... I walked well, probably 10 or 11 holes with Sue and Elvis Smiley during a practice round. And Sue was feeling out how to play around the greens. And she just she just kept saying, the grain, I'm struggling so much with my wedges. So every time got up around the green, putter. took out putter, three wood or five wood or hybrid and knocked a few around, hit some chips as well. Much to Clates' chagrin <laughs> as he was trying to say, it's not that hard, you can do this. And she could. She hit some wedge shots during that practice round that were... You know, I, I I can't hit those shots at all, and I don't think I could hit them one out of ten. And she was hitting them seven or eight out of ten, but she felt more comfortable with flatter face clubs and rolling it up the hill, and implemented the strategy, and it showed to be very very clever. By the time the weekend came around, key being was David Michaluzzi played everything with the lob wedges. Yeah, him. correct. He was chipping and pitching beautifully yeah. that week, and it was just as effective for him as taking the putter. And so the joy of that log is not is the option. That's right. Having yeah, the short grass gives you the option. It, it was an interesting. There, there's that sixteenth hole is another one with a fantastic green, yep. no bunkers around the green, and sort of two no bunkers. How can that two plateaus? Off? Well, that's. Uh, I had a uh, conversation with Mike Clayton where he goes, "No bunkers. It'd be easier if it had bunkers." <laughs> <laughs> so and it Why is. Why is he a, always so right, and yet he's so <laughs> flippant about? It. He's right about these incredibly deep questions. He just flips it off like yeah. you know. It'd be easier if it had bunkers. Uh, but yeah, that's right. You go, you miss it in the wrong spot uh, with those contours and the short grass, and uh, you've, you've got Grace Kim over the back of the thirteenth. It's really tough spot. So when I say she might have say that might have been the right shot for her to play, she missed yeah, it. A little bit. Don't you think there's, there's a real macho thing with pros that they feel like they've got to hit the sixty degree oh, around I the green for I, every single shot? What do you think? I think it's hard when you're playing. And Grace had Grace, I think, played with him on Sunday. I have to double check. And Sue definitely did on Sunday. Playing with a guy like Jed Morgan, who knows exactly how to hit wedges off that turf around there and watching him shoot the lights out you kind of think well maybe I've got the wrong approach and you want to have a go at it to try and hit those shots Mm. so I think that's a little bit I think that comes back to part of Royal Queensland is strategy of course it's an execution golf course Mm. You probably to, wasn't even thinking about blading you it. As long exactly. as you execute it you've got to execute. Right. Like you've got to, it's about execution. But Jed, Jed would have taken wedge all the time and not even thought about grain. But that's that's people who play golf I in wasn't Queensland even thinking too. about blading it. No, no that's right. I've said, I've said to people, I've never <laughs> hold a putt in Queensland because of grain. Like I just can't get it. Like it just doesn't. So work. what's happened in Sydney and Melbourne? 
and all those other places where you've never made a putt. <laughs> I've made some putts in those states. <laughs> I've not made a putt in Queensland. That's the difference. What, what do you think for Jed Morgan for his future? What sort of a he's really announced himself with this? Is it this an event as a pro to have such an extraordinary victory so early in your career? Yeah. Or have we seen for others that it's sometimes been something difficult to overcome? Dave, David Diaz had big victory in the uh, Coolum Classic. <laughs> Early in his career, yeah, well, but that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Diaz is a very good golfer. Yeah, yeah. No, true, true. It it places a lot of expectation, of course, which is something he'll have to learn to deal with. But there was expectation already as having won an Australian amateur. Look, he he looks a really good player all throughout the bag. Okay. Um, very solid. He's got. He seems to have a really strong mental game. He's a lovely bloke. That's he really that, is a terrific young. Yeah, like he would show up every day and say hello to everyone by name, and he was. Visibly nervous, but also unfazed. Mm. So it, he was out in his backyard yesterday picking up dog shit. Yep, was he? Yeah, oh, I saw it. He, he, I saw this Ute flatbed Ute come screaming around the car park and beep the horn and wave at me as he left on Saturday night, and I th- or, or Friday night. And I thought, who was that? Oh, okay, <laughs> that's that's the guy leader, the golf Jen. tournament. Yeah, okay. <laughs> But Were the clubs uh, in the back, in the flat tray? No, I don't that's think they a, were. That's a flex. Yeah, I don't chuck, when you've got an hockey strap in there, you chuck the, <laughs> you chuck the bats in the back and you throw the hockey strap over it. But he, um, it, I think it is going to be an advantage because he will likely get one of these DP World Tour exemptions that were announced last week once the, the Order of Merit ends in May, I think it is. But having won a, a tournament that people may deride at times but still has some prestige around the world, He'll be able to get some exemptions on the back of that by writing a, a, a sponsor's invitation. He'll be able to get some by saying, hey, I won the Australian PGA by record margin. That'll get you some spots. Mm-hmm. So that's big for a guy starting out his career with no status outside of Australia. Yeah. Um, so that's important. Um, and it'll help him with sponsorships and everything like that. It's Whether or not it's good or bad is a toss of the coin, I think, a lot of the Tom, time. Tom because, will tell on that also. Yeah. Predicting the future of young golfers yeah, is just exactly. fraught with Everything about – he looks to have all the tools. Got great um, charisma too. Like, yep. I love seeing him punch in the air on 17 when he got it on the green well, on yeah, when 17. He, when he, he How would you see a pro do that? He let out a primal <laughs> – He hit a green. He let out a primal <laughs> screen on nine when he hold one. Yeah. And I was standing there and I sort of was a bit shocked and I thought – what, what was that? Not very is it? Not very golf, not very jet. And then he said afterwards, I needed to. I felt like I was going to be sick if I didn't right. yell. He said, I just felt so clammy and so weird that that's I just- a great home, reason for doing it, too. But right? that's Absolutely. A, it is, but yeah. that's a, exactly, that was the, the tiger thing of getting mad so that you forgot about it by the time you hit the next shot. He obviously felt so much nervous energy needed to get something out of him, which is really smart. He, not a performance thing, No, it's not. A, it's, it's, not. About no, it's about just understanding yourself. Yeah. And he, he would have done that at another course if he was playing no, Australian. that's a great question. I, yeah, no chance. He it was very comfortable, wasn't it? It was like in exactly. his room. Surrounded by fellow members yeah. and people who would have just it, been cheering him on. So. Every time he took a step, they just about cheered that he didn't fall over. Like, it was it was a unique thing. But he's also got the advantage of he's now coached by Grant Field, who everyone knows is very good at coaching tournament golfers. Uh, he had a great grounding in, in, the, in the guys at, at Royal Queensland who helped him, but he's got Grant Field in his corner, which is a big thing. Um, relationship with Cameron Smith. He's got a relationship with Cam. He's got a relationship with, with Sue of parts because of the house that Golf Australia has in, in Florida, in Orlando. Um, he he'd been, he'd came out, We found out during the week he was over at Sarah Jane Smith's place helping clean out her back garden before she went over to yeah, um, Q-Series. Well, he's got a ute. That's yeah, that's right. Having a ute. When that's you've got right. a ute, everyone wants you to help them move or take something to the tip. Exactly. There's always a, a job yeah. when you've got a ute. Fantastic. But uh, speaking yeah. of, of Sue, it would have been 
it was a very confidence building win for her, but it would have been a crushing loss, very wouldn't it? Much. Yeah, I, I spoke to her early in the week, and we sat down after she played a pro am round, and just sat down at a table and talked for fifteen minutes and talked about winning and what it would be. And Sue's very um, careful, I think, with her words when she's talking to media stuff because you know some people are, um, you know, some of us are sharks and turn you into a, looking like a fool, uh, but. She she was very much focused on winning without saying winning is almost everything this week. I need this to, to kick it off. And once she had one, you could see the relief. Um, and it had been seven years. Like, and, mm. and it was funny because she was exactly right saying she's only 25. If she was 25 in any other job making the money she makes and having the position she's got in the world, everyone would think it an amazing Enormous career. Enormous success. Incredible but success, yeah. she won her first or second event as a pro and then hasn't won since. So mm. uh, I think it's a big thing. I think she goes over to the States this year and has her best year, mm. without doubt. Like, her golf was great, but it, confidence thing to just have won and have been the favourite. She was $2.10 to win by the time they teed off on Thursday. Rightly mm-hmm. so. To, if, if, she should have been. handicapping but, the field. She but was. she should have... To then go out and, and prove and, and that correct to you. But she had a hands full with Grace Kim, who really announced herself 100%. as well. Very much so. That that's, was- that's two events in a row for those two where it was a head-to-head and yeah. Grace got the better of Sue at the Sandbelt, but Sue Sandbelt was playing because it was Jeff and Clates and she didn't really prepare. She showed up and played and had fun, but this was a, a real event and I think Grace got the full experience of hmm. You know, a really se- a seasoned get, player. It's a shame they didn't get to play in the same group. I think that's it, an issue with the way that worked out. That yeah. that could have played out completely differently. Correct. If everything around the 13th had happened with two players in the same group, that's a whole different uh, sort of ball game. Just on Sue, we, we haven't seen the best of her since she turned professional. And people forget, 10 or 11 years ago, when they were in their mid-teens, there were three standout players in women's mm-hmm. amateur golf, and they were Lydia Ko, Minji Lee, and Suo. Mm-hmm. And you could not have put anything between the three of them. Yeah. Here we are 10 years later. Minji's won a major. Lydia is Lydia. We know what Lydia's gone on to do. And Sue has just not played to that level as a professional that she's capable of. So I've, I've been saying for three or four years this will be the year we see the best of Sue. This might be the launch pad where we do start to see the best of Sue. She's got everything required she does. to win at the very top, including the right attitude. Yeah. If there's anything she lacks, it might be a little bit of obvious and outward fire. You can't tell always from the outside, but whether she has that real burning fire within. We don't see that. Uh, it's No doubt it's there. You can't be a successful competitive golfer at any level without it. But I think this year could be the year 2022, which would be fabulous to see. She's a wonderful ambassador for the game. She's a thoughtful, eloquent, intelligent. She's a little bit careful with the press, but as you would be yeah. if you're sort of an LPGA. So best of luck to her. Grace Kim is the one that probably interests me the most. Logue, being a standout at the amateur level, Turned professional late last year as an amateur, won a couple of times on a mini tour over in the States while she was over there doing the US amateur and that sort of thing. Is she a better player than we realised? And how important has this couple of weeks been for her, this couple of weeks being the Sandbelt Invitational and a few of the other events that she's got to play, and this past week mm. being right there and feeling it? It can be the making of a golfer, can't it? It can be. She would have been exposed to a very large audience this week because it was on TV. Um, and streamed all around the world as well. We had, again, Kevin Van Cleef commented yeah. to us, she's his new favourite golfer. Yep. Um, and uh, it, it's an interesting one because she's somebody who's very familiar to Sydney, the Sydney golf scene. She, you know, it seems like just a year, well, in fact, probably was just a year ago, she was playing pennants for Avondale. Yeah. Um, and uh, you see her around, you know, golf courses in Sydney all you the time. You see her at your place. 
Yeah. Multiple times. That's I right. Imagine. Um, and so it's been great. And, and she's a really lovely person. Yeah, talk about nice people. She's yeah, top of the list. Incredibly, yeah, just an incredibly nice person. And uh, always you know, extremely friendly um, and a great attitude. You saw that uh, on <laughs> with Sue's celebration on the 18th Green. Grace was the, one of the first people there to celebrate with her and look genuinely happy for her. Um, and I guess that's the sort of person she is. On top of all that, she's got beautiful this beautiful rhythmic golf swing. Um, Player. Perfect positions. Flusher. Uh, it absolutely flushes it. And uh, uh, really good short game, great attitude. Um, you know, she can Probably go anywhere. Probably think about turning pro. <laughs> <laughs> she might well, have a future in this game. Yeah, yeah, she might, might have, have a future. future. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised she didn't actually smash it in the States for that little trip where she... Um, she didn't smash events. it in amateur golf, but she won a couple of mini tour. Won a couple of mini tour. Uh, uh, not taking anything away from that, yeah. But I, I there was uh, the confluence of everything in her amateur career was coming to a head with that US amateur. You'd have thought, um, and like she went, she progressed reasonably far in it, I think. But I, I felt like that must have been a little bit of a disappointing cap to her amateur career because she wouldn't have been very well known in the states. No. But we all knew. And she would have known that she was a match for all she, of those She players. was the Suo of the Australian Amateur. Exactly. The Suo was this yeah. week. I reckon she went over there knowing that she would have been the Legitimate match for those players. Yeah. And uh, and I think she had a go at the Augusta National Invitational yeah. as well. Um, yeah. And again, just didn't quite get the job done in those two events. Um, but, you know, let's let's see. she got that experience. She'll go back over the state. She's got the game for that, that country and the type of golf they play there. Um, she'll do really well. Years at Jimmy, and we've seen it before. Standout amateurs who just flounder in professional golf it's a whole different world i'm not sure fans understand just what changes as soon as you start paying for money but it really changes yeah absolutely i think i think grace probably benefits that she might have a game more suited for professional golf so that's interesting man. You, yeah i think you're probably right uh, and and amateur golf in the states is very different to amateur golf oh, here yeah. amateur golf here they play really good golf courses they play golf courses set up tournament-wise that are very different to the ones they play over there. So I think she will have that sort of strong start. It's just getting places to play. This is the next problem. That's the Where do you play? I mean, she's she's going to have some disappointments at some stage because eventually she's going to miss the first fairway in her life and she's going to realise <laughs> what the rest of us do because I've never seen her miss one. So it's a great, doesn't she? But she she swings it great. She's she's really level headed on the golf course. She's as as Logan was saying as a person. She's absolutely magnificent. She's friendly. She's helpful. She's she's terrific. So, look, I, I think there's a bit of sky the limit sort of stuff with her. But it's just about finding somewhere to play early. She seems to be a sponge for things that you know she notices what's going on around her. So she's she's watching the guys she's playing with during that event. She's watching the girls, you know, when they're practicing and things like that, and taking stuff away from it. Um, so, look, there's there's quite a few events to play out here. She said to me a couple of weeks ago she really likes playing the mixed events like the TPS events, your Vic Opens. So she'll play the full run of TPS of the Vic Open and stuff. And it would be no surprise to see her walk away from the end of this summer with one or two wins, head over to the states to play the Symmetra Tour and bit of money behind. and go over there and like we've seen Hannah Green did brilliantly over there and quickly turned it out so anything can happen in in professional golf and she seems really suited to it so um yeah another another week where she was just super impressive it, the things that happened to her on Sunday happen in professional golf oh it's golf exactly She'll so as well you know it's 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 one of those learning experiences um interestingly both Sue and Grace had their dads on the bag 
Um, I was going to ask you about this too because the next step, I feel like the last piece of the puzzle for a lot of top amateurs when they turn professional, it's probably overlooked, is the caddy. Yep. The difference that a professional caddy makes, which is not to say you can't have a mate on the bag and do well. We've seen Rory do it yep. uh, well and we saw Jason Day do it quite successfully for a while as well. But in that initial phase, a professional caddy is an eye-opening experience for a lot of young pros, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. And look, Sue's dad might be campaigning that he is one because he's had two, two wins. Two wins. So mm-hmm. he's, two he's runs, got two a pretty hits, good yeah. – SJ's got a pretty good little run going there. But uh, look, I think it is because the professionalism of professional golf is far beyond what happens on the golf course. Yes. Managing – Golf course is actually the sanctuary. Yeah, that's right. That's the, easy, that's the easy part. That's, that's the right. easy part. You travel, you're, everything like that Sponsors is – Yeah, media, going out and doing all that sort of stuff. That That is what drains your energy, that dra- takes your focus away from what you want it to be. Um, learning how to, to have your own time to practice. You're talking to the other players and stuff like that. You've got you to learn what works for you. So, for example, at, at an event like last week, I'll, I'll walk the range is one of the first things I do in the morning each day. Just walk up and down and watch guys and girls hit balls and get a bit of an idea of how they're hitting it. That's important. But talk to ones who want to talk and get a little bit of what's happening with the day. If they've already been out and played, you get a bit of a feeling. Now, the player has to work out if they're happy to be one of those people who talks to someone like me or to the other players or to the officials or whatever, or if they don't. Because you, you work it out and you I know who wants to talk and who doesn't want to talk. And the guys who want to talk... That's part of their That's right. The, the, thing. It's the that's, Trevino that's, thing, isn't it? That's right. Part of the theatre yeah. of what's going on. You know, on. like yeah. at Aaron Pike, for example, is a guy I get along with very well. I've caddied for him before, but I know he loves a chat as he's getting ready. So I'll, I'll park up there for a little bit. We'll chat and chat and chat, and then I'll pick a point where I'm done, I go. So Grace has to learn that sort of stuff. Given she's so friendly, people will talk, and she will stop what she is doing to engage. So Elvis Smiley, was he a talker? Uh, no, or? Elvis is not much of a talker. <laughs> His caddy last week does all the talking <laughs> for him. But he's he's working it out pretty quick too. You know, I I would stop and talk to Clates and, and Ian Triggs, his coach, would be there and we'd all have a bit of a chat about what happened the day before or something else that's happened in golf and chat and laugh. And Elvis is like, um, I need, right, a, I need a, 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 a hit here. Well, no, Elvis, <laughs> Elvis would be hitting balls and then he'd, he'd decide he wanted to engage. He'd turn around, he'd say something once or twice, he'd take another club and hit some more balls. So he's learning it. Grace will have to learn it. And a professional caddy does a lot of that. Hey, we've got to be here by this time. Hey, can you just go away from us for the moment? Steve Williams just grab the camera and throw it in the pot. That's right. Yeah, maybe not that far, but <laughs> a, a, a professional caddy is a, mm. a a big part of success for a lot. Not Steph everyone. Kiriakou say this during the year that when her dad stopped caddying for her, she got a professional caddy, and suddenly there was a whole lot less to do because someone That's was right. doing it all for her. Yeah, it was game changer. It was a shock for her that how much they do do. Yeah. Um, there's there is unique situations. Sarah Jane Smith's husband is her caddy, but he's been her caddy for her whole career. So He'd get another bag in a heartbeat if she just correct. stopped they, playing. I spoke to Sarah about it, and I, she was talking about the stresses last year of playing for her card and for her living. And I said, does it does it add to the stress that you're also responsible for Dwayne's living? So you've got both – you've got your whole family's income mm-hmm. on your shoulders, which a lot of professional golfers do, but it's a unique situation. She said, we don't know any difference, so that's how it is. And I'd never thought about it, Jimmy, but thanks for reminding yeah, me. Yeah, so now right. I really Standing can feel the pressure. I reckon, yeah, that's I exactly right. I reckon, I reckon <laughs> Dwayne might have kicked me on the way out if, if he'd heard the question. But that's a unique perspective to have. So having a parent, I think, can make it hard too. It can make it easy too. Hard for the parent as well. It's hard. Yeah. It's very hard for the parent to know when to let them – have a bit of freedom as well. Grace is 21 years of age. Mm-hmm. That's part of the mix as well. Dom as a party, Lucas Herbert's coach said to me, 
he's 25 years old and he's had a lot of success. He still needs to do the things that 25-year-old blokes do. Mm. So you still need to allow 21-year-old Grace Kim to do what a 21-year-old woman yep. needs to do to, to be successful. So part of that is maybe not having someone with a personal relationship as a, as a caddy who doesn't get involved. Um, I think caddies are... Uh, perhaps slightly undervalued in this country because there is so few professional caddies who travel around with the tour anymore because the tour is so is so interesting not as big. lots of incredibly successful australian caddies Correct. professional caddies around the world, all over the place yeah absolutely yeah. so look i i think i think having a caddy do the whole run of the summer would be great for someone like grace and if it was her dad okay let's see how it goes but if it was you know a a, a professional caddy or someone who wants to be a professional caddy. Yeah, someone at her stage of a caddying career. And who wants to give it a run and, and, and try it out and see. Now, I think it would be very advantageous to, to her to, to have that and, and see how that goes because I'm not sure that her dad's travelled necessarily when she's gone to the States to caddy and those sort of things. So you're, you're also minimising that change in feeling. You, When you're a professional golfer, you're trying to minimise drastic changes from week to week, month to month to ensure your best performance. So going over and playing on in another country in different styles of golf courses against different players and you've also got a different person carrying your bag who doesn't know how you – some players don't like caddies touching their clubs. Some players don't want to, you know, do the yardages themselves. It, it's, a, it's a learning experience and if you're learning it on the go that week while you're trying to learn a golf course, while you're trying to find your golf swing – there's no textbook, is there? I remember no. Laura Davies told me once, what works for me won't work for Kari Webb. Correct. And only Kari Webb can find out what works for Kari Webb. I know what works for me, and that's what I do. You've got to work out what works for you, and that's what you do. So there's none of this, oh, you know, that's what – what did Jeff Ogilvie say once? Everybody tries to copy the best. The best never copy anybody. Mm-hmm. Correct. So everyone's trying to do what Tiger Woods did. Tiger Woods never tried to do what somebody else did. He always did just what what uh, what Tiger Woods golf pros, did. Golf pros can be sheep a lot of the time. Someone well, putts well with a style of putter, and suddenly that style of putter shows up a lot. Yeah. You know, they they're it's searching. Understandable. They're, they're searching, searching for something. So, if there's an example, they will. Hey, let's have a look and see. So they're looking for point one of a shot. <laughs> Which is, That's right. When you start to get down to those sort of days, it's easy to see where you might try this, 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 and this. Yeah, tough balancing act. Not the easiest job. It's not a real job playing golf for a living, but it's not an easy job either. Any stretch. Men and women together. So it was an interesting ex- example this past week. 24 men in the field. Of shit. I think originally it was supposed to be 30. We lost a couple with COVID. And I think always 24. Was it always 24? They're always okay. 24, to my that. knowledge, yes. Um, and the men's field was a full field of 120. 120, something. So we had a total of 144. 144. This event seems unlikely to be that format again next year because of the arrangement that now the Australian PGA has made with the DP World Tour. That'll need to be a full field men's event, so there won't be the space, quote-unquote, for women in the field. What happens, first of all, to the, give them their credit, Fortinet WPGA Championship, it put a lot of money into it. Yep. Same winning check for the for Jed mm, Morgan and Suo. 180,000. 180,000. A lovely, re, lovely reverse um Case of reverse sexism there, so yep. a, a big whack of money divided between twenty four between whoever how many made the cut in the men's. But what's the future of that, Jimmy? It would be a crying shame, and in fact, an offence if the Kari Webb Cup was a one year event. What Absolutely, next year. Hard to say. I mean, the like you said, the winners' checks was something that was hard to wrap your head around because the next check was thirty grand. I said to someone when it looked like there could be a playoff, if I was Grace and Sue, I'd stand on the 18th tee and say, shake hands, we'll split the cash, winner takes the trophy. You wouldn't get to the 18th tee, would you? You'd decide that at the score is <laughs> That's 10. right. Like, <laughs> both walk away with 100 and, and be pretty happy with the week. But, look, 
it's got legs as an event, I think, uh, because it's got Kari's name to it. Kari, unfortunately, with the timing, it, it came together pretty quickly from my discussions with Kari a couple of months ago. So it, it came together quickly. Kari was in the country at the time when they did the reveal of the event and the trophy and everything like that. Um, and so she hadn't planned to be here at that stage to play in it. She does want to play golf. Um, she's going to play in the next couple of weeks in Florida. Um, she she won't play a big LPGA schedule. No, she's, she's playing because she play can play around Australia. the corner, yeah. but she wants to play at home. She wants to play here. So she will come back and play this event if it's on again next year, which gives it more. Um, Hannah Green was going to play until the border restrictions with WA made it impossible for her to go back home, mm-hmm. um, which was a really tough thing. I mean, you know, her partner, Jared Felton, played. He had a sign of he signed an incorrect scorecard and got disqualified on Friday. Ouch. He's got to hang around and he's playing a run of events, sure, but he can't just pack it home for a little bit and go and kick the dog for a little while to get it out of his system and come back and play. So yeah, you can Jed's dog. <laughs> it, it's understandable why Hannah yes. didn't come. Oh, but of course, she would have been if shattered about that too. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And if so, Kari's here, Hannah's there. Sue's the kind of person she'll come back. So. Look, it's it's got potential. It can't be a, a joint event, in my opinion, because DP World has a required number of spots in the field. So there's a lesser number of Aussie players who are going to get a spot next year anyway. If you have to shrink them again because you're going to... Well, it could you're be going on to, a 36-hole well, venue. Well, you can remove venues. Where but would you go? Indrapilly? Where could you go? Yeah. Well, yeah. Indrapilly? Well, yeah. they're about to do a fair bit of work at Indro. So Which Kari is doing. Yeah, I'm not sure that they could, they could use 36 mm. holes. So... Look, I think it'll be on its own. I think more than likely we maybe will see it early 2023 rather than the end of 2022 when we will see the PGA Championship. Um, And there will be an attempt to create a bit more of a solid run with Women's Australian Open, Vic Open, WPGA Championship, maybe even one more. Um, And it may still be a limited field event, but to throw it... So Kari's name and standing in the game you would think is strong enough... To attract LPGA interest, yes, that could that has the potential to go on and become a pretty significant and prestigious event. The Kari Webb Cup in Australia on the LPGA schedule, limited field, as you say. There's some way that you qualify, uh, and then you have an Australian presence. So you would hope that that might be the case. You'd think the LPGA. So it's going to be a case of finding a sponsor and enough players. So you would think immediately you have to put it somewhere near, as you say, the Women's Australian Open, Vic Open. If players are going to come all the way from America, they've got to play at least two events. Some would be happy to play three. But that's going to be the potential. Because if it doesn't, if that doesn't happen, what happens to it? It would be a tragedy if it was a one-off event. Yeah. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, black um, eye for Australian golf. It, it really would be. Game. There is, There does feel like there's commitment to the concept. Yes. From not just the WPJ and Karen Lund, but from the PGA to support it and as well. And from Kari Webb, importantly. And from so. Kari to support it. Um, look, it, it has to continue, in my opinion, but how that happens, they weren't sure at the end of the week. But speaking to a couple of people involved, they weren't sure. They don't know exactly how it's going to go. This was... We're doing it, and then we'll see where it's at, and we'll see where we can be at. We still don't know where we're going to be in twelve months, with in terms of COVID and travel and everything like that. So, we're we're going to just have to wait and see. Um, if it stays as a limited field event, like I'm talking have? like seventy I was or something, say, yeah, mm-hmm. it have to be more than twenty. I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. No, neither do I. No, I think making the Kari Web Cup a really top level tournament in this country in this region because you've got a bunch of yeah, similar true. limited true. field events in yeah. Asia for the LPGA Absolutely. at the end of the season you, that makes it a very special thing and that's where how you 
elevate something quickly. Yeah. You minimise to make it more, you know, exclusive a to use. Like that makes it a more yeah. interesting. Yeah, I mean, they only had four amateurs in that field, so you would have thought you'd delve into the amateur ranks a lot more for when we can't get a lot of our pros here. So I'd only have four amateurs. You can you can get more in there, but Throw it's in a, a couple of qualifying spots. It's locally. a WPGA championship, yeah. so it's 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 a professional, professional golfers event. event. That's exactly right. Um, how the 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 progress of what the WPGA is versus what the PGA is for uh, vocational members and stuff is important to that as well. Like whether there's a club pro element, which a lot of the the, the women club pros have been better players than some of the men, men players. Mostly touring pros. Comparatively, but yes. they've decided to go down another route because they don't want to travel or want to have a family or something like that. And they So you could get more of them and have more competitive players as well. So it's got it, – I think it's a very malleable concept. Um, I don't think it will go anywhere just yet, uh, but it could be anything by the time it comes back next year. Hopefully it's more than 24. Hopefully it's a deep field. Hopefully – for the sake of it being the Kari Webb Cup, it stays in Queensland. Like, yes, mm-hmm. good if point. we're playing the Kari Webb well, Cup, it was a fabulous venue. You'd if play we're playing the Kari Webb Cup in in Sydney or Victoria, it, it doesn't make much sense. So, well, it would make more sense for the the men's PGA to move around a little bit, and the WPGA to stay at Royal yeah. Queensland or you know yeah. in that Brisbane area at least. Yeah, I, I think the, the the PGA will stay up there for for a while. I think they're pretty. They've got a pretty good home up in Queensland. Yeah. Um, Been there for a long time, and, they? and they like it up there. The the state likes it. There's the a state PGA likes it. arrangement behind yeah, that. Yeah, right? correct. So, I think they're pretty set up there, and it's 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 and it's significant this week that they're going into playing the Queensland PGA up the road the next week. Aust- Australasian Not tour too. players don't get the chance to stay in the same hotel room two weeks in a row very often. No. So, I think that's important, and and they've got their spot. This should stay up there for a women's event up there. Then you've got. You know, Vic Open, then Women's Australian Open is typically South Australia. If we could which get has it. been a huge success, Correct. by the way, and what a what a template they've created there for yep. how to make, how to put the oomph back into a tournament that has struggled. Yeah, uh, and, and if you could struggled. get a New South Wales event, that's that's a great it's a, little it's a calendar. Run. Yeah, and 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 we'd like to go to WA in Perth, but at the time being, that's probably not a consideration for for those sort of guys. And but that's a the WA would Tasmania as well. Tasmania that's, that's back no, that is leaving out the Women's New South Wales Open and Bonville, which are ladies' European tour and events. No reason and they can't I can't it, leave those out, otherwise fearing the wrath of David Teeth. <laughs> and it's, rightfully so, absolutely, because they take a lot they're of work to put on they're, and they're big events. important events. They and exactly, that. Change stuff. And they're great events. I've been, been to both of them. Yeah, went to the New South Wales Women's Open in Dubbo last year, twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Didn't they come out to support it in Dubbo? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's interesting, isn't it? I, the taking it to regional golf courses is, of course, they're going to do that because it's staged by Golf New South Wales, and uh, that's part of their charter is to you know promote golf throughout the state. And one of the great vehicles they've got to do that is to stage these big events and take it to a regional area. Um, but in a way, it's it's uh, it it take well it takes a certain element away from the tournament. To not have it in a metropolitan area, because um, if you think about when you know the Australian Tour was strongest, it didn't do that. It always played our tournaments on our very best courses, which were at in in the cities uh, for better or worse. Yeah. They were in the cities, um, so it, it, it's a two edged sword. That one, it, it's very, I, I, very good for the regional area and gets supported very well. 
Oh, um, fantastic. It's the best, fantastic um, tourism Perhaps vehicle. the best sort of overlap of that is at 13th Beach, where oh, it's still a really good golf course, and yep. it's, a, it's a great region. Vic Open has shown it's, it's the model, but it doesn't mean you supported. can replicate it everywhere because there's a bunch of stuff. And, and I think yeah. the Vic Open, before COVID, could have outgrown where it was. Well, their next problem is going to be they're going to victim it was going of their to get own success. Big, it was going to get too big, mm-hmm. and whether or not you kept it there or you had to move it into Metropolitan Victoria and oh, Melbourne. So can you let people keep the walking the fairways? Yeah, you know, PK or, or, or exactly right. uh, Royal, Melbourne Royal Melbourne or something. So I think when you mentioned the Aussie Tour used to play those metro areas, and then the Pro-Am circuit went to the regional stuff, yes, and yeah. you it got the huge response that you'd want from that because that was their that those areas sort of touch on professional golf and they could play with them. And you still had Terry Gale and, and you Stanley had big Gale. players going <laughs> and doing events, that. Yeah. So that was that was this amazing thing. So it's kind of like mixing what that used to be and what you know what we've got now. But look, the the one thing on on that WPGA Championship that hopefully is a one-year-only thing is is the women being split up amongst the guys for the weekend rounds. Yes, that was... Uh, look, Thursday and Friday, it was magnificent because Suo, who's known Minwoo Lee for a long time, had never played golf with him. Is that right? So it was fascinating to talk to both of them and say to Sue, you know, what do you think of Min? Oh, I can't believe how far he hits it. Yep. And talk to Min and say, what do you think of Sue? Go, I can't believe how straight she hits it and how tidy her game... Like, the... the, the the joy was there for the players. It was there Kids, for the, aren't they? Yeah, it was there for That's the right. punters to watch as well. Um, that was a magnificent element Thursday, Friday. Come Saturday, Sue walked off the golf course. Wasn't necessarily 100% happy with how she played. After the first question, a couple of questions, someone did say, you know you're leading the golf tournament, right? Oh, no, I had no idea. She and Grace had no idea of that seesawing battle they had. Great works with TV. So anyone who's watched it on TV knew exactly where they both stood. They didn't. But- it's not making it as good in person. The argument was that there's probably more exposure playing alongside the guys and stuff. Look, I said to a bunch of people, if you had, it just has to be maybe the last two groups. Mm -hmm. If it was three men, three women, three men, three women for the last couple of groups, every young girl on that property on Saturday and Sunday would have gone and watched the last group of three women and gotten closer to it. Because they wouldn't have been jockeying with everyone to see Jed Morgan. They mm-hmm. would have been up front first. They would have got to see people who are sort of, you know, idols to them and and, and see what they do and, and get a bit of interaction as well because the women are far better, you know, with the young kids when they're walking around and paying attention. I, I think that would have been a really good – but it, the main thing was for the actual players themselves to have a concept of the battle. So the competitive in. golf side of it, uh, yeah. you can't imagine a tournament where – the leader, <laughs> they're not playing in the same group. No. We're just so used to it. it. used to be the case years ago, yeah. many, many, many years, decades ago. That hasn't been the case for a long time. No. It certainly adds something to the competitive element. Who and, knows what might have changed? And and just given outcome. and just given, you know, it was the first tournament, big tournament back, there wasn't that many leaderboards either. Oh, so the, the, the only way to solve that for the players is to have leaderboards every hole or update them every and hole. And there was, there was walking scorers with each group, but there was not walking standard bearers showing the scores where you could maybe go and ask, you know, where do Jeez. I see? See it, check day. and they see can, it. They can look, get on the radio. You and, can look yeah. back at the tee behind you and see what they are. And it was just that flow of tournament golf. Look, they they talked. We talked to We're some of the organisations. Absolutely, but, but. really nitpicking. And there was a positive of the we we saw probably for the first and last time two winners in the same on, in the same group on the eighteenth. Yeah. 
Which was quite cool to watch the players behind try and decide which one they were going to run out to. It was like the little neck of where everyone comes back to score return, the flash area, was the busiest it had been all week because you had this stack of players all going to run out and trying to decide where they were going. You had every name of sort of young Australian golf packed in there, ready to go. So that was very cool. And look, it's a small thing. It's more for the players than anything else. Um, So... Yeah, it, it probably won't happen again, but it was it was part of this week. It was always going to be, so, you know, it, it didn't ruin the events. Oh, no, no, no. Kudos for experimenting. Absolutely. Anything else, absolute kudos to everyone involved in getting 100%. the event on under extraordinarily difficult circumstances. And you're bound to make some mistakes, and you're never going to get anything right for the first time 100%, but uh, an outstanding effort to be congratulated. And congratulations uh, on your coverage, Jimmy. I was Every about to day, say the same. Yep. Lots of uh, really working very hard up there, lots of very uh, hard. <laughs> three or four articles every day. It was, um, and and not just reporting. There was you know opinion pieces and all sorts of interesting legwork that you were doing as really well. Really old school, actually. Yeah, old yeah. school stuff, which is yeah. great. It was probably more so from the Sandburn invitation where we didn't have any TV coverage, and the That's work right. you were doing down there was fantastic. But I hope people made the effort to go and uh, read and follow. We'll, we'll what have you were to doing. put some. Uh, in you the can show put notes. some links in the I'm show notes. Put my one, I think my probably my favourite, uh, at least title from one of your pieces last week was Sue's Seven Year Itch. So I'll I'll put that... Uh, that's some of your finest work. I'll, I'll put that in the um, <laughs> yeah, that's in the going notes. in the show notes. Just one last thing before we finish on that. Uh, if you do live anywhere in Australia where there's going to be a TPS event, do yourself a favour, go and watch it and make an effort to go and have a look at Grace Kim in person. You'll be staggered yeah. if you've not seen her play before just how good she is. And last thing on that, uh, Min Woo wasn't his best week, still finished fourth, never seemed yep. to get out of second gear. He has got it, has he not, Jimmy? Absolutely. Whatever it is, He's got it, and I can never put my finger on it, but if he's on a golf course, you're just drawn to go and watch him. He's got something very special. I think every single person on the property, when he walks around, takes a look. Other players, you know, administrators, everyone just – he has a presence. Um, and he revels in it. He really he enjoys does. it. He do, And he's very he, – he manages – Manages it very well. The stuff we're talking about with Grace about trying to work out how to do Min does that very well. Yeah. He compartmentalizes what he's doing. He's a really friendly bloke as well. Mm. He'll always say hello. He'll address you by name if he knows you. He'll ask you questions about how you're going and stuff, which is always nice. But as soon as he steps foot on a golf course, there's people who want to watch him, and you understand why. The guy hits it 400 miles. It's not and, just that. Though. There's a lot he, of people who hit it a long way. But, but there's something he, about he's, there's his a swagger. Flair, there's, a, right. yeah. there's a flamboyance. I mean, he he. He had good crowds with his group all week, and he was never really in the hunt. No, never got out of second gear, really. He didn't play anywhere like his best golf. No, and then he shows up at 18 on the last day. <laughs> There's all the corporate sort of hospitality around the green. There's already people sw- following him. There's people coming out to try and get a look early when Jed's going to come a few groups later, and he nearly jars his second shot. Like as he's a soon as, as he's a yeah, show off. he's a yeah. shot. He's it's the best a, kind of show yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love uh, Mike Clayton's description of his swing. It's it's one of those. I wonder what that feels like. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fantastic way to describe it. And he and he. The other thing with Min, he, he buys in. He's willing to do what it takes. Yeah, to well, help. he did that silly video he did that with Grace thing Kim with at the start of the week that was part of the Fortnite launch, yeah. and he was there doing it. And he was Grace was Grace was happy to be there, but Grace was I don't think he's ever done something like that before. And Min was sort of guiding her through it a little bit. He's he's a pro's pro. He he knows really, what he's I, doing. I've not. I've not bumped into him for ages because there hasn't been much talk yeah. on the golf, but just watching him on the TV, he looks to have matured 10 years in the last two. Yeah. He's and a different person. Look, and he, and he puts up with with 
with stuff that other players don't have to put up with, and he handles it well. I mean, I, I joke with him pretty much every time I see him about how many questions he gets about Min G. Yeah. And yeah. every press conference. So and it's And it, it, it is tiresome, and it's understandable for... Uh, non-golf news outlets looking for an angle and she's the biggest player in Australian golf in terms of she won a major she's a Greg Norman medalist Min's you know on his way up and rivalry they, they don't have a rivalry really they're, they're each other's biggest supporters so but I, I joke with him about it and he he appreciates that there's people who are interested early in his career at the World Super 6 Perth when he just turned pro someone asked him a question about Min G and the response wasn't as good He's learnt that that's part of it and he's going to have to deal with it and he's matured in that way. And he was one of the ones putting up with, not putting up with is probably the wrong term, but being asked about Cam Smith and his inspiration. If if a tournament golfer needs inspiration from another tournament from golfer, golfer winning a tournament, not, that's right. you probably, <laughs> you shouldn't be you're probably time to give it away. I mean, yeah. yeah. So he, he does put up with stuff that other players don't have to um, in the way Price Jeff Ogilvy does. That's right. That Jeff gets asked questions mm-hmm. about the state of every part of the game in this country every time he sits down. Price of stardom, isn't it? Min gets asked about Min G and about everything else and he deals with it very well, very in a very mature manner and, and still goes about his own work very well. So, look, he, he's he's got something for everyone, for punters, for media, for other players. There's something that just is interesting about Min. He's um, touched with the charisma brush somehow. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, he does it really well. So it's good to see him. And it'll be interesting to watch him this week in Abu Dhabi on a golf course that I think will be right up his alley. That Yaz yeah. Links looks very, very interesting, wide open. Yeah. Very much King's Barnes in the Middle East. Which is now let's go back to the broadly, the concept of men and women together. Now, I, I feel like... Are we being parochial here? It's kind of an Australian concept yeah. that's really started mm-hmm. to take off. It started with the vicar. Almost more six six examples now. And there's the the one they did in the Middle East with the seniors, the men. Oh, I'm thinking just women. in Australia. Oh, just so, in Australia. Yeah. Well, the TPS series has yeah. all been fantastic. So, yeah. what's the future of that? And to wrap that up into another question and a discussion we had on text message a couple of weeks ago about the Australian Open. Can the Australian Open adopt the Vic Open model? And separate to that, the Australian Open, which hasn't been played for two years, and I'll give you a chance to give us your thoughts on that in a moment, Jimmy. Can the Australian Open uh, that hasn't been played for two years, uh, what else can we do about that? What is the future of that tournament? Start with you, Jimmy. So it hasn't been played for two years. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, the Australian PGA and WPGA Championship proved why it should have been played. A young Australian player with a big upside has won the biggest tournament of their life. And everyone I've spoken to and heard from loved watching it. Not having an Australian Open for two years because of the lack of international players, which is the reason we've been told publicly is is why that is the case, tells, and this comes from players I speak to, tells Australian players they are not good enough and worthy enough to have an Australian Open or to win an Australian Open title, which is not true. Because Jed Morgan's proven that he's worthy of a Joe Kirkwood Cup and the Australian PGA Championship, which has been won by Greg Norman, Bob Shearer, Greg Chalmers, Seve Ballesteros, you name them. So not having it is is a knock to our local Is there players. a contractual reason? There is definitely stuff with sponsorship and everything like that as well. So, look, it's it's not as cut and dry as it's made to look, but that's been the reason we've been sold publicly. James Sutherland said without international players, we're not going to have this event. So, look, if there's something else that's holding it back, tell people. Well, it's without international players means you can't get TV. Yeah. 
Correct. And the, I'm fairly the certain management that the, company isn't going well, to make the, the money. The government they need money to that gets put it. into it comes with the stipulation that there's X number of world top fifty players, Correct. whatever yeah. it might be, that Correct. need to be in the field. So I get, I get all. There's that, a whole checklist. Of there, there is, there is. And, and there's probably half a dozen or more things that aren't getting a tick in the box, and yeah. therefore it's off. Yeah, absolutely. And the, it is. So under- the caveat at the start of all this is that it's actually not really in golf Australia's hands a lot of that a lot of, yeah, absolutely except to say that at some point in the past golf australia but but golf gave, was away. gave away that the management is, of the whole thing that is it away that, that is the issue is, which is really the whole point when you give away your showpiece yeah. event the yeah. control of it to someone else yeah. there should be very little sympathy i think from the golfing public as to then we can't have the event yeah. um so that's that's their decision and they have to deal with that so it is understandable that those elements are there too um it's it's just disappointing. And at what point, and I've spoken to a few people about this, at what point not having an event because of these reasons do you start to damage the event that you're trying to yep. you're trying to protect the, the relationship and the, the stature of it, which this, I think we're getting to. two years has damaged it. Two years has damaged the Australian Open. You know, we were already in a position where the, we weren't always getting the right result and it was hurting us a little bit. Not having it for two years in terms of scheduling and spots like that is going to make it tough. The PGA Championship was going to happen this year regardless of if COVID was running rampant and they couldn't get people around here. It was going to happen because they knew they needed to have that event again. Barring something catastrophic, they were going to play and, the event. Yeah, and, and it, it's now come under that, and I'm not 100% on all the details because it's been a little while since it was announced, but the the strength of field for national championships, world golf ranking things, and Kevin Nah blew up on, it, uh, on Twitter yesterday about the fact that it gets a guaranteed strength of field so jed morgan gets a real kick in terms of world golf ranking places i think maybe yeah. more. Mm. look that that's not so ideal kevin nah had a go at this yeah, he, he said well, he's something. got plenty of time between shots he can think about this stuff <laughs> he said something about you know no offense and then basically said it's not <laughs> but, deserving so the classic caveat of no offense but say, let me yeah. offend you know how many million people play golf in this country but and andy marr was the one who went back at him that's how i saw it oh my goodness and it was like it's strange but Kevin Nair obviously looks at his world ranking every morning to make sure it hasn't in changed. Fairness, this, no. is, this is a criticism that's been made in the past by players, which has some merit. It does have some merit. Of course, but it does, you can but overcome all of that just by focusing on your own game. Or you <laughs> could be, if you're Kevin... Just performing well oh, in yeah, the no, well, you, that you're Okay, in you make that point. That's that's fine if you're in the top 50 in the world. If you're at the 150, 200, it's where Kevin things Nair start to change... anything to complain about? Of course that? he doesn't, but that's why you're complaining. The same got, you know, people like you know, Billy Horschel and people like that. But that, they're not they're not the people that... Staggering. They're making the argument. That doesn't mean the argument doesn't have some merit. No. But, the, but the, the PGA has made every effort to not have damage to its brand by yeah. playing it as soon as they could. Uh, and they've played it without their defending champion, Adam Scott, who... Brings so much through mm, the door, especially the two years before that. Cam Smith won it, who was the most yeah. popular winner I've seen yeah. in, in tournament golf for a long time. Mark Leishman used to go up there and play it, so they they did it with all out all of that. It's a different situation, of course, but not having that Australian Open for two years has damaged its it, its brand. To use a hated flip side, term. the PGA would in no way would they have attracted the same sort of eyeballs in terms of from people outside of golf who might have normally tuned in because Adam Scott was playing. There's a bit of a price to play there. But I'm not sure that's such a bad thing because I think as the Sandbell Invitational showed us, one thing golf professional golf could really benefit from would be to get back in touch with actual golf and golfers where right. it's not just about the celebrity names who well, might be in the field, but there's something else to it. Ogilvy, Ogilvy Jeff speaks about it a lot about you know the players shouldn't be the focus first. It feels like, and it's understandable why with 
government contracts and everything like that, the big names have been the, the, the focus for big tournaments here. feels like we've put the cart before the horse and we can't manage to get the horse back around in front of it. Now, golf courses, as the focus, feels like the way, but that's not going to get everybody. No, no, it's a start, though. Um, but Aren't you building a foundation? So if, you it, look it at how, right. if you look at how the Masters did it, how the Masters became the Masters, they struggled mightily for the best part of 15 years. Every year, they were in danger of falling over. Yeah. They now look completely immune to any that they are the sporting event that gets holed up wasn't the easiest of starts no. and it may be the australian open has to go back to well, like, this this thought i've been having about the australian open and the this really came to me looking at or observing the sandbell invitational it's it's very much like an independent film the sandbell invitational you've got the organizers able to express their creative vision for it in in the same way that you know an independent filmmaker doesn't really have as many stakeholders that are they've got to answer to 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 tell their story mm-hmm. and so independent films you know you've got like a Sofia Coppola making Lost in Translation or um, uh, being Not John Malkovich or something films. like that. That, that was great. great <laughs> Just uh, it in you there. haven't seen it. Uh, <laughs> Don't even know what you're talking but, about. You know they're telling small stories and there's not as much oversight from a big studio or something to yeah. tell them what to do. And they can just tell their story. And the, the hand business of, doesn't get in the way? Is the that what you're saying? Doesn't get in. The hand of the director is visible in almost everything that ends up on screen. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, the, the Sandbelt Invitational, you could actually, as an observer of it, you can actually know the, the hand of the creator is in it because you can see what they were trying to achieve. You could even write their manifesto just by looking at the tournament. You could say, oh, okay, they're... This was this was about young men and women golfers getting amateurs and pros getting an opportunity to play with experienced players on great golf courses, and that's their manifesto, and it, that was really evident in the. Couldn't course. you shorten that to it was about golf? Well, yeah, that, that's a little bit, you know. But that, it's not but, designed to try and bring in the no, non-golf market, which is what so much of professional. I think golf it's important. To do. Like it's that's still an elevator pitch. Like you know, young men and women golfers playing with experienced pros on great golf courses. So like it's it, it's a. I think it's nice to define it a little bit further like that um, for for a wider audience to understand what you're all on about. What you know, because those are the things that you want to retain year after year on the tournament, and not have other people come in and tell you no, you can't have that. If you take away any one of those elements, yeah. then you've lost the identity of the tournament. Thing, yeah. So you talk about the Masters, like there, there's a number of elements to the identity of the Masters. All of those things I've just mentioned are the elements to the identity of the Sandbelt yeah. Invitational. And and that's the key is that tournament has started with its manifesto and established that theme. And if it gets four or five years of being able to ingrain that in everybody's heads as, oh, this is what that event's about – if it starts to attract sponsors, it'll attract the right sponsors who think, "Oh, okay, we're on board with your message, right?" And we'll we'll support that. You know, we won't try and change what you've created here. Whereas most tournaments go about it the completely ass backwards way of like getting sponsors and everybody on board and getting a whole bunch of stakeholders. And sooner enough, you, whatever vision you might have had to start off is gone, you're too, and you've got all of these changes. people that you've got to answer to. And they all have certain expectations and they will take away from you the things that might have been important to you by like the choice of the venue, um, what sort of mix of the players, what, how you do the groups or all that sort yep. of stuff. They One by one, all of those things that were important to you will get taken away from you and you end up with this diluted thing that at best 
is going to be like every other tournament in the world. Oh, this is exactly yeah. the problem, isn't it? And, and that's so the Australian Open, I think, has to ask itself, and you know, that's that can be entertaining. Like the Avengers, going back to the movie thing, the Avengers is very entertaining, but it's got a hell of a lot of stakeholders that have had their input into it, and that's how it ends up being a three-hour movie because it has to check all of these check boxes to stuff yep. everything that it needs to stuff in there. Um, but it's not necessarily any one person's vision being able to tell the the story that they want to tell. And so it ends up being something that in three or four years' time, it's almost indistinguishable from every other superhero movie. Um, you know, At best, it's a great superhero movie, but a tournament that takes that approach with a heap of different stakeholders, at best, it's going to be like every other tournament. And is that really what we want for the Australian Open, I, so, I think. Probably an important time to mention that Logue now writes a golf on film. Golf on film. Golf Australia magazine. <laughs> golf Australia, which is, he's frankly, gone down that rabbit hole. It's about as left field as you'd expect, oh, as entertaining as you would expect, I think, quietly. I think very quickly on the Sandbell invitation, I spoke about this with some people last week, it isn't the model for every golf, in, golf tournament in, in Australia either. Good Lord, no. It no, is. It's its own it thing. Is his own thing. Right. It's its own thing. I, I love it. Point. I think it's fantastic, but... People, a few players thought my support for it was me saying that I thought everything should be. Like, no way, no, 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 no. and and it is it is its own nation. And Jeff and Mike and and the foundation should be very proud of what they've done because exactly as you say, they've it's kept what we call to being Jeff Ogilvy. It's 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 kept, it's keeping to what they want it to be. Oh, that's outstanding, <laughs> and <laughs> and. And it, it is very – but it has certain things. It's quite exclusive. It's an invitation-only event like the Masters. It is who Jeff and Clates decide to invite to their event. Now, they're pretty open that they try to invite as many good players as they can, so that's a good sign. But it is not what the Australian Open should be, and I, and I know you're not saying that, but I think people no. maybe need to understand that no, also, when we think something is good – for the Australian Open? Well, I don't think the, there is I, I'll tell you what the manifesto for the Australian Open should be. It should be that here is one of the world's last remaining independent – National Opens. Lean into playing what's seen on, as its greatest playing, drawback. Exactly. Playing Correct. on some of the greatest golf courses in the world. Is it, is and, it independent still, though, given... Uh, no, but it, at least it's not co-sanctioned. Correct. And, I and agree with that, yeah. That's, no, that's that would be death thing. for it. And the commercial rights aspect of it can probably be, like, gotten back. Yeah. So it's not... You know, it's not, not as though it's gone gone. ahead in leaps and bounds in terms of purses under this model that we've currently got, where it's like every other seventy-two hole of it, no. it hasn't moved at all for no, a decade. No, it's, it's, and it's under that manifesto. Uh, you know, one of the last remaining important national opens with a great list of past winners and played on great golf courses. Um, it doesn't need a big purse. That's, no. A big purse isn't part of that manifesto. A big purse does nothing to attract big-name players either. That's it's right. gone beyond that point no. in world And golf. at best, again, at best, you're going to be just like every other tournament that stage that week. Well, and people want to play in the Australian Open not because it's the next thing in the schedule of the DP World Tour. Yep. They want to play in the Australian Open because they want to win it. Because it's the Australian Correct. Open. Correct. That's, that's so, which is the which is the model for the Curry Web Cup of they want to turn the Curry Web Cup into that thing and and the people who sit there and say to fix the Australian Open let's make it a PGA Tour event no. or a DP World Tour event who and complain about the schedule in Australia no longer exists if they don't think beyond their own first thought that part of the reason we don't have a schedule here and part of the reason the Australian Open struggles is because those circuits have taken those spots in the calendar. Yes. They are directly responsible for part of, not all of, part of what has happened to tournament golf in this country. So then going back to them on our hands and knees saying, please, sir, I want some more to try and get, you know, bump up our tournaments, 
there needs to be more thought than that. And I think you're on the right track that making the Australian Open and yet another South African Open has success as the DP world, but... A bunch of the field in the South African Open are just turning up because it says on the schedule, oh, where do I play next week? Correct. South African Open. Correct. Put that aside. So, because we're getting a fair way into this, should the Vic Open become the Australian Open? Not for me. No. Why not? It's a national championship. Both are national championships. I think they have enough to stand on their own. Um, I know a lot of other people have different opinions on it. The Vic Open is amazingly special, and Australian golf needs to be exceptionally proud of that. The the TPS events are special for a smaller scale, different version than the Vic Open. They're playing for one trophy. Um, I think what we've done in those areas is magnificent, but I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all approach to take it over and move it and do it to the Australian Open as well. It limits where we can play the events because we need to have 36-hole facilities. There's not that many of them. It It... It makes it something I, I just don't feel they need when, when we've just said I think it Australian Open, the Australian which hasn't been too. played for two years, is a flop. Yep. Australian Women's Open is a huge success. That's yep. right. Well, yeah, that's I think the, the, the combining them, I think you're underselling the Australian Women's I Open. I think the Women's Open is the I'm one not losing necessarily it. denying that, okay. but is the opportunity. So what we're saying is the Australian Open needs to be something different. But let's not make it so different that it becomes anything but a 72-hole. It just needs to be true field to men's itself. Straight, it, it needs to be true to itself and rediscover what it is because at the moment... It's about that. But we, oh, you don't think it should be uh, no, I, I, uh, retaining not, that identity? Well, of I'm not convinced that there's actual different. success. So what it needs to be is something different but with integrity. So the Vic Open has integrity. These are the pros for the Vic Open model. It is legitimately different and it has integrity. It's proper golf, two separate titles, good fields, and we've shown that there's an interest beyond, including with the reality of sponsors. To me, the biggest drawback of making the Australian Open either a mixed event on the same way as the Vic Open does or consecutive weeks at the same venue, which might be another thing to seriously consider, the biggest drawback of the Vic Open model is the size of the field on the weekend. It's too small for a national championship. Yeah, you can't have... Is there, 30, is, it yeah. 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 is there a solution? It's 30 each side. Is there a solution to that to make that deeper? I don't know. But that would be a tournament with difference and integrity. You can't just be different. There's got to be something about it that's got integrity as well. And that's where I see the problem for the Australian Open in establishing itself. Yeah, it's different. It's not, a, not hooked up with any other golf tour. That's not enough to build it from there. It's got the integrity of being the Australian Open itself. So that would be where I might be swayed to the notion of the Vic Open becomes the Australian Open. You've already got the infrastructure in place, you've got the model in place, you've got the people in place who've been running it for the best part of seven or eight years now, hugely successfully. I think that's got some real appeal. Does it mean that maybe the Australian Open isn't as big a field for both the men and the women as it previously has been? Possibly, but is the upside something much bigger? If you want to look at, you know, what do they call it? Blue sky thinking, is that mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, sure. Let's have the combined men's and women's Australian Open at Royal Melbourne. I don't think you need to actually uh, do what the Vic Open does. I mean, you could do the combined thing, but you don't actually have to narrow the field down so that they can all play one golf course on day four. Um, you could you could continue to play or use all 36 holes. Right, all so two eighth greens. Yeah. Do you not you separate crowds? I think there's issues. But do you see the point I'm making about there's got to be something with integrity, but that's also a point of difference? I, I, and I think that is embracing its its name, being an open championship. Qualifying for it should be a bigger part of the Australian Open. What about international qualifying? Yeah, why can't you it. qualify for the Australian Open in Texas? Yeah, the week have, after the have it have a US based one, have a European based one, mm-hmm. 
and then also have local qualifying in different areas. You know, it's not the same thing, but the New South Wales Regional Open Series is a good little build-up. Fabulous idea. It's a good concept that gets smaller events but gets attention to that. It builds towards and the New attract, South Wales Open. And attracts good players. Now, they're not star players like Adam Scott, but they're good players from their own regions. Mm-hmm. We saw what regional support can do with Jed winning at Royal Correct. Queensland and just what a big deal that was. You get the same thing when you play the regional New South Wales and, Open and, qualifier in Dubbo. And it brings attention in its own way. If some guy who qualifies for the Australian open from somewhere everyone's going to pay attention yeah and if it's an open championship it should travel around the country as the open travels around you know its area if the australian open travels around it will increase in interest as well and and any national open should be about um it's available to every local who wants to win it correct that's that should be the basis of your field, not filling a field with a DP World Tour correct uh, and, field. No, it I should think be, we're a great coach sanctioning is the worst thing the Australian. Yeah, and, it should number one. It should be every Australian who wants to win it. I always think of Wayne Riley when he won, and he's just at the end of it. He's going, I don't care what anybody says about me. <laughs> Whatever, I'm, I'm the Australian Open champion. champion. Correct, like champion. just that should be every kid's attitude about the Australian Open. And I think that's where it has its point of difference to the Vic Open that it doesn't need to go down the same path. When I travel overseas and stuff, people have more knowledge of the Australian Open than the Vic. Open. The Vic Open locally mm. is held up as the absolute pinnacle. It is fantastic. The Australian Open still has more attention, both men's and women's, overseas because it's a national title. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is at home, it doesn't because it hasn't been to Perth or WA since 1974. Because Emirates doesn't fly out of Perth. I'm aware yeah, of that. state. These state deals. Uh, so again, I understand that, like but a sponsor. no kid growing up in Perth playing golf cares, cares about winning the Australian Open because they've never seen it. Mm. They've never had any connection because you've got time differences yeah. as well. Same in, in, in Queensland. I mean, I think the last one in Queensland was 2001 when it was at the Grand. Mm-hmm. So not only was it that long ago, it was at a super exclusive golf course that no one can then go and play mm-hmm. after it and get an idea of, oh, I just watched Jed Morgan win here. That's now, Royal Queensland's a private golf yeah, club. but like Karen up, which is where it would like. Yeah, it, correct. Like, but but that, that travelling around and being played in each state every couple of years, doesn't have to be every year. You can have, you can have anchor sites. I think that's yeah. probably the model. Because I agree with you. There's a real problem with not taking your national open elsewhere. And this is where that stakeholders get involved and take away little bits that are important that you're talking about. Like the fact that it never goes to Perth is flat out wrong. Mm-hmm. And there's no way you can ever say that's right. Might make it more commercially viable for a number of years, but I think we're at the end of the 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 rolling period where that number of years is coming to yep. a close. The Australian Open's in real trouble in that sense, and it hasn't grown for a decade. The purse hasn't gone up. It hasn't been easier to attract players to come here. Imagine if we'd spent that decade building the foundations of the kinds of things we're talking about. Not all of which will work, by the way, for all no, the critics no, out there, and everybody accepts that. Mm. But what innovation have we seen? What interesting ideas have we seen? Golf New South Wales has done a fabulous job with some of the innovations they've made, like you're talking about with those regional series and with the women's golf, taking it Correct. to Bonville for the, the, the women's classic up there, going to regional New South Wales with the women's New South Wales Open, combining with the LET. You don't see that. Yeah, you don't see. We've got home for a long time. You don't see that with the Australian Open. And there's no. got to be – there's no – it doesn't feel like there's any energy about the thinking towards the Australian Open. Perhaps that's what's required. And if you put enough energy in, you get a bunch of wrong answers out, but you get a couple of right ones too, which you take to the next year. There's no overnight silver bullet answer for the Australian Open. It's got to build. If you, if you take it to some of those places that maybe it's going to be a commercial down year because you're going to somewhere where maybe a sponsor's not as happy or whatever and the crowds are smaller, 
but it's a golf course of interest. It's going to get more interest out of overseas than the next year. Well, I wonder where it's going next year and how can I get over there to play or whatever. And Which is the last grows. thing I'll say is that the one thing we don't capitalise in Australia, certainly on the Australian app, is the global interest in Australian golf courses. Absolutely. And that's a golf thing. And the interest in Royal Queensland from overseas was enormous. The interest in the Sandbelt Invitational was, I would suggest, greater overseas than it was here locally. Absolutely. People from around the world were staggered. The first question you'd get on Twitter from people is, where can I watch it? Yeah. Royal Melbourne, Kingston Heath, Victoria uh, – not Victoria, um, Yarriow. Kingswood and Yarriow. Where, do I, where can I watch it on TV? I'll sit and, I'll sit and chew that up. Well, Je- Jeff – We need to make something about that with the Australian Open. Jeff Ogilvy said something to us about – Peninsula Kingswood that that's the best conditioned golf course for a tournament round he's seen for a what long, would he long know? time. Oh, what guy, would he know? This guy's played some decent <laughs> tracks. He isn't going decent playing at Marrickville with Logan Eye. He's, he's, he plays at Metro sometimes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so that special for a major winner, mm. that translates overseas and it gets attention. Like you say, people are asking all sorts of questions and Royal Queensland had its own unique n- twist on that locally and overseas. That's that's where that's where we're failing with the Australian Open. And to anyone who wants to criticise, I was a junior member at the Australian Golf Club. Like I grew up there. I loved being there. Brag. That's right. But uh, I, I loved being there. It was a fantastic place to learn the game and, and play a lot of golf. But it needs to go elsewhere. It needs to move a good around. Tournament venue. Fabulous tournament. It's a magnificent tournament. tournament. You can't have it at Sydney's best golf course, New South Wales. Correct. Just, well, we've tried it, tried but it was difficult. It was pretty. Yeah, yeah it was Correct. pretty clumsy. But. Yeah. Loads to think about. It is. More more questions than answers, which is how you know you've done a good job. Well, uh, that's Mike Clayton left me with talking about this mixed Australian <laughs> Open with, oh, what, it can't work? And gave me a look as if to say it can work and then left the that's, conversation. Well, that's your problem now. And now yeah. uh, that's my that's mental <laughs> demons to handle. <laughs> that question would have been easier with a backup. That's <laughs> <laughs> Clayton's what I'd say. Fantastic stuff. Uh, good to be back. Thanks for coming in, Jimmy. We want to get you into the studio more often uh, this year because, well, you live close enough to come and do it. So My pleasure. Thanks for having me. in your favour. Uh, been a joy to have you. And for me as well, congratulations on all the terrific work you. you've done the last few weeks with Sam Belt. And RQ, Logue, always good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Rod. And that's episode, checks, notes, 98 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. (laughs) Done and dusted. We'll be back again to do it all next week here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.